image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Lights on. All right. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, we're going to be in this same passage here that this video uh, so appropriately helped us capture. Uh, we're going to be in chapter one, verses 15 through 20. So go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Down the middle aisle of seats are a couple stacks of Bibles underneath and you are Welcome to use those while you're with us and actually take that with you when you leave as a gift. If you're going to use that Bible, we are going to, I think it'll be page 685. 685 in the Pew Bible. Um, we're going to read this out loud together to start off with. And so go ahead and turn there real quick. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we pause to say thank you. Thank you for life, health, breath, for the activity of our limbs. Thank you for getting us here. Thank you for the gathering of your church today. We stand with uh, the many churches in our area, proclaiming Jesus, worshiping him, trying to make him known. We pray that in the midst of God, the Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us now as your saints, as a, as a community of faith gathered together today to, uh, to hear, 
to, to take heed to your word. God, would you open our hearts and our ears to what you have to say for us? And for those of us who this passage is very familiar, would you give us uh, just breathe on the words and and its inspiration and make it new and fresh for us that we might hear something especially for us. God, I pray especially for myself that you would help me to articulate just the importance of this passage in our canon, what it says about Jesus, what it means for our lives. I pray this in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. So we're in a in a series in the book of Colossians. This is our I think this is the third, fourth week. We took a pause last week to do a mini church plant Sunday and we featured uh, uh, a church planter, uh, Jesus Rodriguez, who we are supporting and will support for the next year as he uh, travels to Mexico City, Mexico, to plant a church where there is not one. And uh, and so I, I think that was a great, great opportunity for you to see and to shake hands with someone that's um, that's just called of God and doing uh, what we should be doing, preaching the gospel and making disciples. All right. Today, we're going to jump back into Colossians. And I'm excited about this passage because of what it says, what it reminds us of. But more importantly, um, you know how it presses us to, to make much of Jesus. Who is who is Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who is Jesus? It would be accurate to say Jesus is the most famous person in all of history. More songs have been written to him and sung about him. More artwork has been created depicting what different ethnicities and people think he looks like. There have been more books written about him. He's the most famous person in all of history. At the same time, it would be accurate to say there's still a lot of confusion about exactly who Jesus is. There's uncertainty along with that confusion. In many ways, in all our efforts to to understand Jesus, we've made him into an icon. And that can be both good and bad. In our text today, Paul has something radical to say to this church at Colossae about who Jesus is. That Jesus is not just an iconic figure as we would sometimes make him out to be. Paul sets us straight on our view of Jesus. History calls Jesus a a good prophet. Some call him a a teacher. We might look at him as a good example for all of us to follow. I think as Christians, one of the things that we put Jesus, we put him on a pedestal. We call him a hero. Many of us call Jesus this this person, this this God man that I have entrusted as my personal Lord and Savior. And I would say none of those are inherently wrong. But this passage here that we have read and that we'll unpack today says that Jesus is is more than all of that. Paul's saying that we need to be convinced that Jesus is not just good example, iconic, personally for me, a savior. Jesus is preeminent. He's preeminent that Jesus is supreme in his person in what he does and in his reconciling work on the cross. That's what. Paul is conveying today. Two weeks ago, we looked at a passage primarily um, conveying Paul's prayer to the the, the church at Colossae. And in that, Paul was just encouraging them that a guy named Epaphras had come, their evangelist, and told him all the great things going on in their midst and how they had responded to the gospel and really were, were living it out. Today's passage, 
We're not going to focus so much on Jesus, the redeemer. We're going to talk about Jesus himself, what Jesus, the man, the divine entity that came from eternity into the world has done for us. You know, Colossians chapter one, 15 through 20 scholars tell us is it's one of the most beautiful expositions of 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 this this Christ of, of who Jesus is and what He's done. Many scholars believe that it was an old hymn that was sung by the early church um, really as um, to remind themselves of, of who Jesus was. I think it's more it's, it's, it's a hymn, but not him in the sense of we, we sang a hymn this morning and, and and that kind of doing. It's really liturgy or doxology. They're they're words. These are words put together, almost poetic like that have a rhythm to it and forces us into worship of 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 our savior. And that's what I think Paul is is meaning to do here. And so what we'll see as we work through this passage is that Jesus is not just iconic. He's not just important. He is preeminent. Um, The word preeminent is not. uh, I mean, how many times have you said that word in the last week? Anybody said it? Seriously, anybody? (laughs) All right. I've only said it because I've been I've been studying this passage here. The word preeminent means it means superior. It means supreme, first in rank, dignity or importance. So when we say Jesus is preeminent, we're really saying he's the most significant being that's ever existed uh, in the cosmos and on our planet. Uh, I think Paul here gives us three reasons why Jesus is preeminent in this passage. The first is Jesus is preeminent because he created all things. Jesus is firstly preeminent because he created all things. In verse 15, Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Perhaps you've heard this before. There's this little boy. He's about six or so. Um, he's drawing. He gets out a sketch pad and he's drawing. His mom comes up to him just to check on him, see what he's doing. Um, and she said, oh, what, what are you doing, sweetie? And he says, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And, and so, you know, the mom, knowing that the kid has had a little bit of Sunday school and a little bit of teaching about the Bible and all that, knows who God and Jesus is. She says, well, sweetie, um, you do know that um, God doesn't have a body and all that. He's, you know, you, you can't see God. What are you drawing? He said, well, uh, I'm drawing God. And w- once I finish, everybody's going to know what he looks like. I mean, can't you see one of your kids doing that as they're trying to as they're grappling with this idea of who God is and that, you know, you had Jesus, but God's invisible and and all this stuff. I mean, it's a cute. It really is a cute illustration of sorts of of all that we deal with as we're trying to grasp the Trinity and who God is and who Jesus is. Um, You know, at the same time, this illustration begs the question that if God really is truly invisible, how do we come? How do we come to know him? How do we come to believe in a God that we can't see? And Paul simply tells us in this passage, the answer is Jesus. The answer of how we know God, how we believe in him is Jesus Christ. Paul is declaring that if someone has seen or experienced Jesus Christ, they have seen and experienced God the Father. And and Jesus conveyed this same thought 
in the Gospels. In, in fact, in, in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus is, is this, this famous passage where Jesus tells uh, the disciples, those that he called to himself, the early apostles, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then, and then this guy named Philip says, well, well, Jesus, if you just show me the Father, I'll believe everything you're saying. And then Jesus says these, these, these words. He says, Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the father. He's trying to convey to him. I am the I am the image of the father. This word image has has two meanings. The first is likeness. If I had a coin here, take it out. American currency. There's one of our presidents right on on all of our our currency. Um, is is that the thing the, the image on the currency? Is that the president? Absolutely not. It's just his likeness. Same thing is if you look in a mirror in your home. Uh, you see your reflection in the mirror, but that the, the reflection is not you. It's just your likeness. The other idea of this idea of image is representation or manifestation. I think this more appropriately gets at what Paul is trying to convey about Jesus being in the image of an invisible God. Jesus represents the manifestation of God. It's the sense that God the Father is fully manifested or revealed. That's a good word. Revealed. In Jesus, the the writer of Hebrews in chapter one, verse three states this kind of same idea in different words. He says this, that he, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. When I when I look at this verse, my my, there's a lot there, but my eyes go to that word exact. He's saying in, in Colossians terms that the image of God in Hebrews terms that the imprint of God are exactly revealed in who Jesus is. And this is not saying that Jesus had an appearance of God because the Bible tells us in very many places that God doesn't have a body. He, he, he's in essence, okay? But it's saying really that Jesus reveals God. He reveals him exactly in terms of his moral character, in terms of his his purpose and will in terms of his attributes, uh, attributes of, of deity, they're revealed in Jesus Christ. In, in Jesus Christ, human beings can know the glory and majesty of God. The unknowable God becomes knowable through Jesus. And, and you should pause and think about that. I mean, that's a, that's a complex thought. But we can know an invisible God by knowing, by believing in Jesus Paul goes on and talks about God being invisible. He's immaterial, the one that no one has seen. And uh, if you're taking notes, here's some scripture verses that we aren't going to go over these. But if you'd like to explore this idea of God being invisible, John chapter one, verse 18, first Timothy six, chapter six, first uh, Timothy six, 16, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. How do we know? What God is like if he's invisible. That's that's really what that little boy was doing. He was drawing a picture, trying to grasp who God was just through his imagination. But Paul tells us here, God makes him known in the person of Jesus. And this has tremendous implications on on all of us in this room in terms of how we how we know God. And so, again, if we want to know what God is like, we got to start with Jesus. Jesus reveals to us most clearly 
what God is. And what should you do if you're a Christian here and you have non-Christian friends, especially those that you're engaging, trying to help along the continuum of, of, of belief and faith and trusting in a God that they cannot see, is you have them start in Jesus. I remember uh, I was a non-Christian uh, at West Point, and although I had gone to church, I had no idea of, of who Jesus was. And I went to a, ba- uh, a navigator's Bible study, and we started in the book of John. Start in the book of John and over a semester of time, just reading the book of John, um, I had a I had a come to Jesus moment. I realized through reading the Bible that I wasn't a Christian. God revealed Jesus to me through his words. I started with Jesus and, and look at me now. Look at me now. That was a joke. <laughs> All right. So verse 15 continues. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. We can look at this verse and get confused because it sounds like Jesus was created. He's a created being. And there are heresies that that result from from reading this scripture as if Jesus was a created being among other created beings. In fact, uh, the Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus was created and then went on to create the rest of the world as as scripture says. Paul isn't trying to assert that Jesus was cre- uh, created. OK, this is he's conveying a Hebrew Old Testament perspective of what it means to be firstborn. If you are a firstborn, primarily a son, you're the first to open the womb. That means you uh, you have some priority in terms of the rest of your siblings and your family. You I mean, you are important in terms of the lineage that comes from, you know, the, the mother and father. And that flows out from this this family. He's conveying this idea of I'm a, I'm a monarch and I've had a son and this son is going to inherit and rule in my state. It's going to get all that I have that belongs to me. That's, this is the idea of firstborn that he's conveying here. Paul's point was that Jesus Christ is distinguished from all creation because he's both eternally prior to and supremely ro- ruling over all of creation. That's what he's conveying to us here. Verse 16, Paul writes, all things, all th- say all things, all things were created through him and for him. Um, guess what all means in the Greek? It means all. I know that sounds funny, but I, I'm actually being serious. And this is important. Paul is saying all things were created by Jesus and all things means everything. It means everything. If I can see it, touch it, taste it, then Jesus has something to do with it, with its creation. OK, were the things were the things in the heavens, the cosmos or things right here on Earth? Jesus is the creator of it. All things, all kinds of beings, all kinds of spiritual entities in our world, all kinds of powers have their existence, have their origin in Jesus. Now, this 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 verse here, 16, is actually kind of an apologetic. It's kind of a defense for what we just read in in verse 15. You know, the 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 thinking in in verse 15 is the reason why it became a heresy was people were reading it saying, well, if if Jesus was the firstborn of all creation, then he was created. Well, verse 16 says he created all things. And so Jesus can't be uh, both creator and a part of creation at the same time. Um, I'm not an English geek, but there's some there's some English grammar here 
that's important for us. And the, the importance of it are the prepositions. Y'all know what a preposition is? Some of y'all don't. I, I, I'm looking at you. All right. So uh, a preposition is a word that precedes. I'm giving you some English lessons. You can thank me later. Yo, you should pay me for this. Uh, a preposition um, is a word that precedes a noun or pronoun, at least in our English grammar. And it describes the noun in relation to other things. I'm standing on the floor. My Bible is on this podium. Your, bo- your bottoms are on that seat. As, as we close in response to the word of God today and in, in communion, we're going to walk through the door as a scattered church to worship Jesus and make him known in our city. OK, those are prepositions. It, it's in relation. It, it describes the relationship of the noun to other things. And, and Jesus is being described by prepositions to the rest of the world by a few prepositions in this in this text here. And so I'm going to put it, put it back on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. For by him, all things were created in heaven and in earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so the neat thing is, um, is these, these prepositions that we pull out by, through, for, before. That The key thing is it was all for Jesus. I mean, look at this, this word right here. It was created for for him. You, you want to know why the world was created? You want to know why all these things exist? You want to know what one of your purposes in the world? It was created for Jesus. I mean, this is what Paul is, is pointing to. It, Jesus is the I mean, he's preeminent. It's all for him. And I think that's a pretty big deal. Jesus is preeminent because he created all things. He's the creator God of the universe. That's the first thing. The second thing is Jesus is preeminent because he sustains all things. Jesus is preeminent because he sustains all things. Verse 17. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I think this is a fascinating statement that Paul is making about the reality of our world. He's saying that in Jesus, I mean, he's holding everything. He holds it by by he's holding everything together. How does he do it? I don't know. I don't know how he does it, but he's doing it as he's sitting at the right hand of God, the father. Jesus is the one sustaining the existence of our very universe. Take away Jesus. And I think everything either vanishes or just. Falls away. Okay, it's not going to exist as it was supposed to exist as it was created. Again, when we go back to that verse that I I cited in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Here's the other half of that verse. It says that he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's upholding the universe by his word. The universe is held together and sustained by the word of the risen Christ. And so from the moment of the inception of all that we know about our world and what we don't know about the the cosmos beyond our world until this very moment right now. Jesus is sustaining and guiding all things. I think he's in the midst of of bringing all things also to their proper consummation. Put plainly, Jesus is the only reason that the entire universe 
has not fallen into complete chaos. Now, those of you who are scientifically minded, you 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 know, because of your studies or because of skill that you've gained or just because of your inquisitive nature um, about how our atmosphere works and about hydrogen and oxygen and, um, you know, what the sun really does for us. I'm not smart enough to, to tell you all that. But I do know that what what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is behind all those systems that that help us to breathe and help us exist on our planet. And that keeps the sun from from burning us up because of the, 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 the exact layer of the ozone. Um, our community group, our community group leaders are using a book called uh, 100 Meditations um, on the Hope of uh, Hope of Glory by Sam Storms um, as they lead our community groups through this. And one of the things that Sam Storms says in that book, I love it, what he says, he says, Jesus is the divine glue that holds all things together. He goes on to say, we wake up every day confident that we'll not freeze to death because the sun that we so easily take for granted, um, hundreds of billion, 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 that's a 10 with 38 zeros. That's what that number is. Um, hundred billion, 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 billion fusion reactions take place every second. I think that's a lot. I don't know. More than 400 million tons of hydrogen are being converted into helium every second in the in the heart of the sun. And this is only one sun among billions of trillions of other suns, all of which are a constant inferno of chemical and nuclear reactions, all of which are the product of the power of, of the sustaining energy of Jesus, who sits enthroned at the right hand of God. And, you, and I, mean, I mean, we should listen to that and say, wow. And if I had a scientist up here and. And if this scientists were articulating exactly how, you know, that the intricate details of our, our our world are working right now. I mean, we, our lips would be on the floor because, um, you know, the Big Bang didn't. It's, we're not an accident. The world that we live in and how intricately it's put together is not an accident. Jesus created it and he's holding it together. Jesus is doing this. And he's not only upholding our whole universe, he's also moving it forward to to some end. His desired end, a final day of glory that where where majestically all that God has purposed for for those who he's called to himself and in, in a perfect condition, uh, a perfect world will come to some fruition. So Jesus is preeminent, not because not just because he created all things, but because he also sustains all things. The third and last thing I think Paul is saying here is Jesus is preeminent because this is his rightful place. Preeminence is his rightful place. Uh, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of the, uh, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, uh, verse 18 could be a sermon all by itself. All right. I'm not going to do that to you, but I do want to point out a few things for you. Firstly, among many other things, verse 18 is saying Jesus is the head of the church. OK. OK, so Jeff Toomer is a, is a lead pastor of the transit, but, but Jesus is the is the head of of our church. OK, so I'm trying to follow him as he leads me to lead, lead you. But Jesus is also the head of of the universal church. And Paul uses this metaphor in Ephesians of the body of Christ with 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 Christ as its head. And we're all the the limbs. Some of you are, are toenails and little toes and pinkies and thumbs. Some of you are the mouth. Some of you are the nose. OK, we, we all have a part to fill here. He's saying 
among many other things in this passage, like your head controls your body, your, your, your brain and its thinking and your head, wherever your head goes, your, your, your body follows. He's saying Jesus is the head that controls the church. He, I think the metaphor is that like, like the, the, the blood system and the veins and the arteries and all that thing naturally, organically flows throughout your body, Jesus is also giving life to the church. I think he's including all this in this metaphor. And lastly, I think what he's saying in this verse is Jesus has rulership over the church. The second thing I think Paul is, is helping us to see here is he calls Jesus Christ the beginning. Again, this is a reference to the church. OK, Jesus is creating a whole new lot of people. Remember in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, uh, who do people say that I am? And he ends with with Peter saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus retorts, uh, yes, and you're Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Jesus is reminding us he's the one building the church. Jesus is the one that leads the church. Here he's emphasizing that without without Jesus, there wouldn't even be a church. Jesus is the beginning of of the church as we know it. He's leading it and he's bringing it into something. Next, Paul asked that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And we've heard this this term firstborn used previously in verse 15. So this is the second time that he's used it here. This is an explicit reference to the resurrection. And I think specifically he's taking us. Um, I'm sorry. Let me uh, let me get my notes here. He's, he's talking about the resu- uh, referencing the resurrection from the dead. Now, if you remember, Jesus isn't the first one to, ra- uh, to be raised from the dead. And John 11, Jesus raised, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. OK, there's a passage in the Gospels where the son of a widow, um, uh, a widow's son had just died. And they're taking him out of the out of the room in a casket or a coffin. The, the Bible uses the word beer. Jesus is walking by and he just touches the casket and the guy sits up. I mean, wouldn't that kind of freak you out? So Jesus is not the first person to, to rise from the dead. But the, the sad reality of, of, of Lazarus and the widow's son is that they were raised to life. They resurrected. But guess what happened? They died again. They, they died again. But the Bible tells us that Jesus resurrected and he lived forevermore and he'll live forever and ever and ever. And this really is the essence behind this idea of Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. You know, we're a young congregation. You guys are a lot of young people, young kids. You don't think about death much, but all of us are going to die at some point. And if you're in Christ, the, the scriptures tell us you'll resurrect. Okay, and you'll resurrect like Jesus if you trust in him forevermore. And that's good news for all of us. In Jesus resurrection, he holds a superior position. He's therefore first from the dead. I think the important thing of of all these statements here in verse 18 is. Is that Jesus is saying just as with our bodies. If the church severs its connection from its head, then the, the church is, is, is not. Then the church will suffer paralysis and it'll die. The vitality of, 
of the church universal, the vitality of our church is in us being connected to the head and the head is Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. And then all of these verses, verse 15 through up to verse 18 here, all of it is culminating in this statement here in verse 18 that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. And so the literal meaning of these words is to have first place. I mean, think about that. What has first place in your life? What are the things that you give priority to? Paul is reminded he's 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 turning our head and say, I know all these things might have your attention. This is what ha- this is what should have first place. That's what he's doing for the church here at Colossae. And that's what he's doing for us this morning. Paul is showing that the, the Colossians that Jesus has first place in all things. So the NIV, for those of you that use the new uh, international translation, um, translates this word preeminent as supreme. And I think that's a, I mean, it's, it's a word that we understand. It, it, he, it, it's saying that Jesus has supremacy. This is what Paul's getting at, that in all things, whether in the cosmos or right here in the midst of, of our church and the worldwide church, Jesus is, he's supreme. He's preeminent. He's creator. He's sustainer. He has first place or he should have first place in everything. Nothing is excluded from his control. And so, I mean, what are the implications of this for us as a church, but also for you as individuals? I got a few ideas for you. The first idea is that Jesus is not just iconic. Jesus is not just important. Jesus is preeminent. Paul is saying that all throughout this passage. A few of you may use um, the the Bible translation, the message written by um, scholar, theologian um, uh, Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson writes this about this idea of preeminence in regards to this passage in Colossians. He says, hardly anyone who hears the story of Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death by crucifixion and resurrection will walk away unmoved and therefore dismisses Jesus as unimportant. But it is quite common for many who consider Jesus important to simply lump him into groups of people then de- uh, they deem equally important. Buddha, Muhammad, even Moses, Socrates. You fill in the name of who someone that you might think that's important in our society today. For many people, Jesus is important, but he's not central. His his prestige is considerable, but he's not preeminent. And this is what's going on, I think, at the church at Colossae. And in chapter two, we're going to find out that the, the Colossians had gotten into angels and different philosophies and higher traditions. And they were trying to reach a higher uh, spiritual maturity, of course, guided by, by uh, somewhat false teachers um, they were trying to reach a, a higher spiritual maturity by believing and adhering to these things. And Paul is writing to them in an attempt to restore Jesus, their Messiah, as the most important entity, the most important deity in their lives. And I think we're like them, too, in many ways. We are like the Colossians in many ways. We can get sidetracked. We're a body without a head oftentimes, and we're doing what we want without turning as the head turns us without being led as the head 
leads us. I think in many ways, Jesus has been promoted as a as a pop culture iconic kind of a figure. Now, I you know I had I had picked some uh, picked some pictures out for you. I decided I didn't have time to do it. But, you know, we we we've made Jesus into a pop uh, uh, an icon. I mean, there are T-shirts that say Jesus is my homeboy hats to match. We've got bobblehead Jesus. Um, we've got uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant versions of, of Jesus. We've got black versions of Jesus. Jesus is the uh, he's the guy I can stick on my uh, on my my dash in my car and pray to him when I really, really, really need something. And then we've got these pictures in, you know, well-meaning intent. We have well, we're well-intentioned in this. But we air, we got pictures of Jesus in our in our homes and we, we look at it to get inspiration, but we do it on, on our terms. I think what we've done with Jesus is the same thing that Colossians have done with Jesus. He's important, but he's not preeminent. And so here's a question for you as, as I get close to closing. Is, uh, is preeminence of Jesus reflected in your life? Is the preeminence of Jesus reflected in the, the whole of your life? Here's some here's some ideas. Are the actions of your day to day existence ordered in such a way that Jesus is seen as supreme ruling over it? And even as I say that to myself, I mean, I'm stepping on my own toes because I, you know, I order my day according to what Jeff wants to do. My friends are those friends that Jeff wants to have. I read the books that Jeff wants to read when Jeff wants to sit down and watch television instead of hanging out with his kids when his kids are need my attention. You know, Jeff is doing what Jeff wants to do. So I'm stepping on my own toes as I step on yours and I'm not done yet. And so could we could we openly ask the Holy Spirit to show us if there are any discrepancies with Christ's preeminence in the way that we we use our time? Think about that. We all have 24 hours in a day. And the minutes and the seconds that go along with that. And this is the way time works. Um, you will prioritize what's important to you. And so if 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 football were coming on today. I guarantee Jeff would be watching football and Jeff would prioritize that around some other things. Right. And so. What does that say about Jesus preeminence? Obviously, sometimes it says Jesus should be watching football, but sometimes it says Jesus, uh, Jeff should be doing other things. Is the preeminence of Jesus reflected in your time? What about your talents and your skills? All of us have natural abilities. Some of us have skills that we've learned through school and just by doing stuff. And does the preeminence of G is, is the preeminence of Jesus reflected in how you use what God has gifted you with? Are you using them for his glory? Are you using them at all? Is the preeminence of Jesus reflected in I'm really stepping on your toes here. Your money. Um, I said that in the, in the I said this in the membership class uh, two weeks ago. Um, there's two ways of viewing you and your money. You can view it as all I have is mine or all that I have. Uh, I am a stu- it belongs to God and I'm a steward of it. And I would tell you. Those of you that live life of all that I have is mine will will have a, a difficulty Fully submitting to Jesus, if you have that perspective. Submitting to Jesus requires you to see yourself, all the things God has given you to include your money as you are a steward over them. 
Is the preeminence of your life reflected in your words? My wife and I had a conversation one time. We we're doing a little checkup, talking about, you know, just marriage kind of stuff. You all need to do that every once in a while. Come to the marriage conference. Um, and the question that we were addressing was, do you edit your words before you before you speak? And I, and I was thinking, I was like, mm, no, I just say what's on. <laughs> I just say whatever I'm thinking. And she's like, yes, I know. Sometimes they're, they're harsh. And uh, and I said, you edit your words. She says, yes, I always do. I I I. I change my words sometimes before I talk to you. And uh, I was like, "Ooh, ouch. <laughs> it's the preeminence of Jesus reflected in your words. Do you just say whatever you want to say to whoever you want to say it? Or or are you considering um, the, the holiness of God and what he requires of you? I'm not saying that you need to have a perfectly clean, you know, oration coming out of your mouth. Sometimes we need to say things that that pierce and and that challenge people. But are you considering Christ in your words? Are you is the preeminence of Jesus reflected in your relationships to other people? And this can go both ways. Some of us have a whole group of friends. Uh, you're a Christian, have a whole group of friends that aren't Christians. And I would tell you that that's good. I want all of us to have non-Christian friends. But some of you have been friends with non-Christians for years and years and years and years. And, and your non-Christian friends have no idea that you're a Christian. And so does the, does the preeminence of Jesus reflect anything about him in those relationships that you have? And I would tell you, on the other end of the spectrum, there are some of you that need to go get some non-Christian friends and be Jesus around them. And here's a, here's a third one. The preeminence of Jesus acted out in your relationships might look like this, that those these non-Christian friends that you have, you might have to offend one of them one day because you're being you're you're being um, cognizant of the preeminence of God in your life. And and at some point you got to bring in Jesus. You got to talk about him. If Jesus is truly preeminent, it has implications in all these areas. Jesus is not just an icon. He's not just important. Jesus is sovereign and preeminent over all things. And because he is, he gets to speak into all these areas of your life. At least he should. I'll close with this. There's a story about Leonardo da Vinci. His, you know, he's a, the, the famous painter of The Last Supper. He spent three years on this painting, devoted three long years on it. And when he when it come to its completion, um, he drew Jesus uh, with that. Jesus was painted with without a cup in his hand. It's the it's the Last Supper. So he brought a friend in, someone that he really trusted and he really respected. And he said, tell me your thoughts on it. And so the, the his friend that he brought in just heed and hard about it. I mean, he just had all kind of superlative praise to give to Da Vinci about this this painting. And then he said, you know what? I said th- th- amongst the praise, he said that the cup that you have in Jesus hand is brilliant. And so Leonardo da Vinci took uh, his paint supplies and he began to paint out the cup. And he said these words. He says, nothing must distract from the figure of Jesus. That that cup had taken on his from his friend such a superlative nature that it detracted from the image of Jesus in the painting. And and he didn't want it to be there. May that be the case in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this preeminent God that we get to, to worship. 
Jesus is creator. He's sustainer. He's the one upholding the world that we live in. Not only that, he's head of the church. God, would you draw our hearts to Jesus this morning? This invisible God that none of us can see is made visible through Jesus. God, would you touch the hearts of those here in the room who are struggling just with trusting Jesus with their life? Would you draw them to Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you prick our hearts for those of us here who are are Christians and challenge us in those areas where we've made Jesus iconic. He might even be important, but he's not central. He's not preeminent. And would you just help us to give a a little gut check and to, to see all those areas of our lives, our giftings, our talents, our treasures, our friendships, relationships, all all those areas that Jesus could possibly be touching us in and would you help us to be reflective and and bring us to repentance over those areas that Jesus does not have his rightful place. As a church, Lord, we pray that Jesus would be preeminent. That his gospel would be preeminent. It would be the preeminent word coming out of our mouth. That when we, when we think of those things leading our church, that we would see Jesus as our head, that we wouldn't do anything outside of, of him, that our leaders would be fierce to follow Jesus, and that all that call this church home would follow where their head goes. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. And amen.